Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, September 13th, 2017. Light episode today, pirate gang conversation, controversial topic. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God, and sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to open up God's Word, to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, it's just bizarre how that ends up being the case. And over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine being put out there is far from biblical. It's like not even close to what God's Word really says. And so we do a comparative work here. Now, um, like I said at the beginning of the program, today is a a normal day for a light episode. We're going to change it up a little bit here, and we're going to be listening to a pirate gang conversation. And uh, for some of you, this pirate gang conversation will not go far enough. For some of you, this pirate gang conversation is going to go way too far. And the best way I could put it is there's like no way to win in this particular situation. And this is really about, and I mean this, this is about the topic at hand and it needs to be handled carefully. The topic in question is this, is Hillsong part of the NAR? And I will be having this conversation with myself, Stephen Kozar, as well as not Amy Spreeman, but Eric Pedersen of the Outback Bereans. And the way I took the conversation is is not in the most direct of routes, if you would. And there's a reason why, because for some of you, um, if we just went at this directly and just said, here's the evidence, here's what the NAR says, here's what, here's what Hillsong says, you'd sit there and go, no way, that's just too crazy. And I get it. 
And some of you are going to sit there and go, why didn't you go that route? Well, the reality of the situation is, is that um, the uh, the evidence against Hillsong being NAR is, is ultimately going to come down to patterns and similarities. And I personally believe that Hillsong is NAR. And I, I want to make that clear. I, I absolutely believe that Hillsong is part of the NAR and that Brian Houston is an NAR apostle who doesn't like to wear the hat, doesn't like to wear the name tag that says, Hi, I'm Brian Houston and I'm an apostle. But he operates as such. Instead, we're going to go a, a slightly different route than the direct route. We're going to talk about kind of the foundational issues. We'll bring up some of the circumstantial evidence that demonstrates that you clearly this is the same variety, same stripe, same type of doctrine that we're hearing from Hillsong that we hear in the NAR. And from there, from there, we're going to basically give an admonition. And the admonition is this, that you, the listener, needs to do the homework. And so with the uh, with this episode of Fighting for the Faith, when it gets posted to the podcast stream, there will be a lot of resources, and uh, there will be research for you to follow. And the best way I can put it is, is that if you think kind of the matrix, you got the red pill, the blue pill, I can't remember which pill ends up opening your eyes so that you can see the matrix. We'll provide the pill for you, and if you walk through and do the homework, you will come to the same conclusions that myself and others are already coming to, and that is is that Hillsong, even though they don't publicly you know say we're part of the NAR, that Hillsong is actually part of the NAR, you know, and so and that's the tricky thing about this is that you have to recognize that they publicly do not say hey we're part of the NAR, you know, um, they don't do that. But they uh, promote NAR speakers, bring them to Australia. Uh, Brian Houston operates as an NAR apostle. Yeah, I think you kind of get the idea. There's a lot of similarities. And when you go to today's episode at fightingforthefaith.com and look for it uh, September 13th, 2017, um, with the program notes, there will be the trail of evidence for you to follow to make the determination for yourself and whether or not they are part of the NAR is is actually important. It's ginormously important. It's not a throwaway issue. It is a huge issue. So with that in mind, today's episode will be without any breaks. We're just going to I'm going to play the um the play the interview for you to hear, to listen, to follow along and uh with the you know over and again encouragement that you need to you know, do the research yourself. We'll provide the evidence for you to look at, compare, contrast, and uh, and see what you think, what conclusions you come to regarding the question, is, NA, is uh, Hillsong part of the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation? So with that, let's get into the program proper. Here is my conversation with uh, Stephen Kozar and Eric Pedersen. All right, on the line, I have Stephen Kozar and Eric Pedersen. He's uh, going to be sitting in for uh, Amy Spreeman, who is on a, a, you know, a, a leave of absence for a bit, and we're not sure how long that's going to be. But uh, welcome, guys. Thanks for uh, coming on Fighting for the Faith. Hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. <laughs> now, hey, you should... You should warn everybody that uh, not only do we have a new 
member of the team today, but we have two languages being spoken. We have the standard English, and then we have Australian. So right. there may, may need to be some translation taking place here. Something like that. Um, although yeah. I, I, I do not really speak Aussie very well. Um, it, th- those of you who do not know, Eric Pedersen, <laughs> is, he has a podcast of his own, The Outback Bereans. Uh, Eric, introduce yourself. I know that people who have listened to the Australia conference audio are familiar with the uh, segment that we did with you. Uh, you know, I call it Ghost Stories with uh, <laughs> Eric Pedersen. But uh, get, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, first off, I must say... Um, this skirt that Amy left me is too small. That's my only complaint. So. <laughs> hey, don't, don't do that when I have coffee in my mouth. Knock that off. Uh, seriously, uh, I, I'm still in shock. Um, but, yeah, um, so what? I'm 10 years almost now out of the NAR Vineyard, AOG, John G. Lake Ministries, whatever you could think that was weird I was into. Wow. Um, <laughs> so I've got a bit of a sordid background in in what's been going on in a lot of these, I call them cults now. There's no point mucking around anymore. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm doing the best I can with the little I got down here and people are starting to listen. They're listening to your podcast. They're reading Amy and Kozar's articles and people are starting to question What's going on? Yeah, and and, and you know, as I was looking at today's topic, the t- the topic that we're going to be discussing is is Hillsong NAR, and um, one of the challenges that I find with this particular topic is that we're going to be building a, a you know it's circumstantial evidence, a circumstantial evidence case that basically says that if they aren't NAR, they sure do sound like they're NAR, and their focus is on things that the NAR focuses in on. They share their ecclesiology, they share their uh, uh, pneumatology, these are big theological words, and uh, their, their, their concept of the kingdom and things like this, and this you know, kind of taking over the world via conquering the seven mountains, they call them spheres. But the issue for those of you who are listening who are you know, who attend, you know, a kind of a non-denominational big box church is that uh, the con, you know, it's more than just these things, these emphasis that, uh, that really make them dangerous. And what makes it very difficult for evangelicals to be able to see this, and, and I think we talked about this uh, prior to the program, is that what we're going to be describing from my point of view, from Kozar's point of view, from Eric's point of view, is the difference between night and day. And the and the and what makes the contrast so stark from our point of view is that we actually have a different foundational set of assumptions regarding what the core message of Christianity is, what the message is, how the ecclesiology works. And if you're attending a, a big box church, this is not going to be a difference between night and day for you. You're going to sit there and go, well, this is kind of the difference between day at noontime versus day at maybe four in the afternoon. It all kind of looks similar to us. And so the my challenge for the listeners of this episode of Fighting for the Faith is going to really be that um, you're going to have to begin to challenge some of your core unchallenged assumptions in order to really be able to see this contrast. And the problem then is is that once you challenge those core assumptions, um, you can't un 
see the things that you're going to see. And so this, right. you, know, you know, one of the one of the, the things I say about fighting for the faith is that, you know, in our warning is that this is a program that could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But the experience of it is uh, it, it can be traumatic. It could cause all kinds of drama and upheaval in your life. It could mess up relationships. It's actually a big deal. This is not a small. Um, this is not a small thing that happens to our listeners. But the the reality of the situation is is that what we're going to be looking at is not a church that is historically or biblically accurate we're going to be right. look, we're going to be looking at a church that from its core assumptions is, and it and its practices are is wildly different than what christianity has done and said and believed from its inception and um and the the farther they go down this track the worse it's getting and I remember when contemporary styles of worship were being first kind of introduced in mass within evangelicalism, and all of the purveyors of this and who were promoting it were saying, all this is is about style preferences. And what we're going to demonstrate in this episode today, hopefully, and we'll, we'll do this well, even if we do it poorly, it doesn't matter, we're going to try – is that this is this is not about style preferences. This is not about whether or not you know the younger generation really connects with the style of music that Hillsong is promoting. That is like the least. <laughs> that's like not even on our list. It's so far down the line. But I assure you, this is not about stylistic preferences. This is ultimately about doctrine, theology, and practice. And their doctrine, theology, and practice is something very different, very different than historic mm-hmm. biblical Christianity. In fact, Chris, um, I want to build on what you just said. I, I wrote an article last year, I think, and I'll put it up under this uh, episode, and it's about confirmation bias, yeah. which is just a psychological term for the way that almost everybody responds to new information that conflicts with their pre-existing beliefs. We immediately reject any information that conflicts with our pre-existing beliefs. We don't actually consider it, you know, objectively. So, uh, and I and I'm thinking about, you know, Brian Houston's not going to listen to this program and care what we say. He's not going to change his mind. But there are literally millions of Christians who have been affected in a way that they deem very positive by Hillsong in a in a, a smaller way. You know, they like the songs. They know a guy that maybe took. Um, some classes at one of their schools, and he seems like a really good guy. So there's a lot of Hillsong uh, favorability that people have, and so they can't even consider the possibility that the foundational theology of Hillsong is is bad. It just doesn't seem possible, and that's confirmation bias. And we get it. We understand why you feel that way. It's really, really hard to look at people you love and care about and had, have had good experiences with and say, maybe there's something here that's actually fundamentally wrong. Yeah. But you have to consider that if you're going to take your faith seriously. And if you're going to be a biblical Christian, if you actually believe what the Bible says, as opposed to the teachings of men, you have to be willing to say, well, let's compare what they say to Scripture. Yep. And And you can't do that if you continue to live in this this kind of um, 
created world of having confirmation bias. You live in a bubble and you are sure that your beliefs are right. And when anybody introduces new information, you reject it immediately, not because you know that it's right or wrong. It's because you want it to be wrong. Right. And, yeah. and, and so that's what that's what Eric did. That's what I did. You know, we started listening to guys like Chris Roseborough. And for whatever reason, God had shaken us to our core and it caused us to say, I'm, I'm willing to throw out everything except the Bible. And I want to start over again from scratch. And I want to really consider everything that I've been taught and, and not just assume that these people are telling me the truth. Even though they might, they might have good intentions, they might be doing what they think is right. That doesn't mean it is right. It doesn't mean it is biblical, even though they might say it's biblical. So right. sorry to go on a little bit of a rant there. But man, if we don't, if we don't make that really clear, Everything we say for the rest of the show is just going to be turned off or ignored, right? And so I, one of the, one of the the major themes, and this is you know again, it, it might seem that we're off topic, but we're really not. Is that ultimately what churches like Hillsong promise people? the power to do things, to have influence and affluence and be blessed to be a blessing and to have authority over you know, demons and diseases and things like this. Ultimately, at the end of it, none of that works because it's not biblical Christianity. These aren't the promises that God makes. And um, one, of the, one of the realities of uh, you know, what we do here uh, with uh, pirate Christian media as a whole is that oftentimes people will not be willing to hear what we have to say until they begin to see the cracks in in the whole system set up within churches like Hillsong and realize that it just doesn't actually produce what they're promising. God doesn't mm-hmm. give them these things. And so they they almost have to be existentially taken to a point where they realize something's really amiss but they don't know how to put their finger on it. Eric, yep. do you have some ideas along those lines? Yeah. Well, um, we spoke about that earlier. It was only about two weeks ago I had a, a, a lady pastor who I knew in AOG when I was involved in them. And out of the blue, it had been years since we'd been in contact. Uh, we met and she just poured out her heart to me at what she's been taught and what they teach and what they preach, when it really comes down to it, it does not produce the fruit that they say. Now, I had a bit of a chat with her because I didn't want to, um, man, she was on the edge as it was, but these guys sit on the top of the Ponzi scheme. Of course they're going to be able to talk and say things like that, and people that are down the line like this, something like this will happen. That'll just be another, another one by the wayside that never was with us because they left us, you know, that's the mentality they get. And that's heartbreaking when you hear that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And, and, and you use kind of a, a, a pretty derogatory term. That's a pejorative phrase, Ponzi scheme. But that's really kind of, you know, let, let's talk about this is that the way the, the system works in churches like Hillsong and who are also uh, that are part of the NAR there is um, a caste system. Christianity is set up into castes. And uh, at the top of the caste are the apostles and the prophets. They are the super spiritual, the super holy, the ones that God speaks directly to. 
And oftentimes it is, it is overtly taught that to really kind of achieve that level, it takes a particular type or intensity of love for God. It takes a certain type of commitment. And that commitment oftentimes, and this is the way it's preached, um, begins with you need to honor your leaders. You and you and you know, if you want to be the next Brian Houston, the way that's going to happen is by you working, uh, you know, voluntarily in the you know, in the car, you know, parking lot detail at church. And when God sees that you're submitted to doing the smaller things, He'll give you promotions along the way, and eventually you can make it to be the next uh, next Brian Houston. But what's really interesting is is that. Uh, Houston always seems to be the guy always at the top. There, there doesn't seem to be new Brian Houstonses that are uh, you know on the on the horizon, but always guys who are under Brian Houston. You know, it's the same. It's the same there with Phil Pringle too. He always sitting at the top of the pack, you know. And sadly, they they feed off the rest of the people that are underneath them. And one thing too is that's amazing is you got to climb that ladder. It costs you. Yeah. You know, it's not just your 10%, it's your 10% plus a little bit extra, guys. Come on, show God that you really are honest and, and want to buy into this. And that's how they push it. Yeah, you got to sow your seed, man. You can't you can't expect a harvest oh. if you don't sow, you know. This is also just like Amway. It's just like multi-level marketing. The idea that you have to honor your upline and you have to pay your dues and you have to volunteer a lot. Uh, it's uh, also similar to um, any real serious cult, you know, that's totally unchristian. I would describe Hillsong as a cultish church. There, There is sometimes, some places, occasionally an actual gospel message that gets leaked in as opposed to a complete cult. But that idea that you have to uh, kind of follow all these patterns, uh, it's it's what you see in mobs, you know. There's a guy at the top, and you got to work your way up, and you got to show loyalty. Uh, they call it in um, Bill Johnson's Bethel Church. They have a whole teaching about the importance of honoring your leaders, and uh, it sounds it sounds good at first, you know. There's there's a lot of truth in in some of that stuff, but it turns into this really weird cult-like thing where God can't promote you, God can't really work in your life and bless you the way you want him to until you show yourself worthy. And you show yourself worthy again by, by you know, somehow sucking up to the leaders. Right. And, and of course, most of the time it doesn't work. Most of the time you just spend your whole life, you know, just as, as the lowest end of the caste system. Yeah, and 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 then you, ha- I think those are the people that we're going to be talking to who are going to want to hear what we're saying today because the rest of the people are still deluded into thinking that hey, don't tell don't tell me I can't work my way up the system and get blessings from God. You know, they still have this false belief that everything they've been taught is true, and they just got to keep pushing ahead. Yeah. That's why so many of these sermons are all about you know uh, sticking with it. You know, don't give up. It's the the, the blessing is right around the corner. Yeah, this, this, oh, yeah, that's not historical Christianity. Historical Christianity is pointing back to the crucifixion and the resurrection and the forgiveness of sins. That's what Christians have always talked about. This new thing where Christians are supposed to be uh, excited about the great new thing that's right around the corner. That's just hype. That's all it is. Yeah. It's good old fashioned hype. We used to do that in Amway. You know, you know you're all, you're almost there. Just hang on. Yeah. Keep paying those tithing checks. 
Keep showing up. Keep volunteering. Your breakthrough is right around the corner. God, God's yep. put it into the UPS box. We'll get a tracking number to you next week. <laughs> stay in there, you know. And what's really fascinating is that you know over and again the messages that that I want you to think about the core assumption here. Then that Christianity then becomes a means to an end, and the means to an end is not a reconciled relationship with God, eternal life, and things like that. But the means to the end is to for you to literally get everything you can out of this life because you are so important. God wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be wealthy. He wants you to be influential. He wants you to be the head and not the tail. He's going to, he's going to, your life is going to be a life that people will write about for ages to come because of how amazing this, this dream destiny thing that God gave you is and, and how you ultimately change the world. And really what this is doing is, is literally taking Taking our sinful nature and its self-centered desires and passions and playing it like a Stradivarius, you know, and it's not calling people oh. to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Now, along these lines, and I know we're still doing, you know, groundwork here. Along these lines, I always find it fascinating how bored I've become with, you know, current movies and. Um, and television programs for this reason is that they just seem to be rehashing the same themes that play well to people who are young and idealistic. Um, you know, I went, yeah, I remember it was a 10 years ago, there was a program on, on NBC and the name of the program was heroes. And the, the, the main plot line behind that is, is that there was this younger generation of people who were taking the next evolutionary step and they were discovering that they had special powers. And you sit there and go, wait a second. Didn't I read something about like, like that, you know, in comic books when I was growing up? And, and, you know, and the, the word on the street is that there's, you know, there's some new program coming out on, Fox in the fall that is actually the same idea. Young people discover their their powers. And then you think about that's what the whole plot line of the original Star Wars was about. And then the next version of Star Wars. And now that The Force Awakens came out, you know, a couple years ago. Same thing. We can never really got, grow past this. This younger generation realizes how important they are in their special powers that they can go and transform the world and save the world from evil and all this kind of stuff. And oddly enough, that is the theology and the emphasis of uh, of all of these churches nowadays that mm-hmm. basically are feeding the youth uh, this idea that you are special, you are you. God has created you to change the world, and and uh, you're going to do this. In it, we we've got the whole plan for you to be able to do this. But this emphasis is not does nothing more than literally prey on uh, p r e y prey on the young and the idealistic, and promising things that that God doesn't promise, and it doesn't require any repentance. It doesn't actually require any soul searching to take a look at the you know the inbred evil that is within all of us because of our sinful nature. Instead, it's it teaches people to look inside them to discover their latent greatness, the right. seeds of importance, and you know that God wants to awaken in them so that they can go and. I mean that I couldn't think of a more demonic 
uh, message if I if if I could think about it. And what here's the interesting thing: there's no difference in this emphasis than in the emphasis that you get on all of the major television programs that are geared to kind of attract the young and make them feel like they're super important. I was going to say the um, emphasis on life change at a, at a church like Hillsong, it, it, it's part of a whole cluster of ideas that in, uh, in themselves, it's a coherent system. It's not biblical, but it all kind of fits together because I'm sure, I'm absolutely sure that there are a lot of people who got involved in a Hillsong church and they cleaned up their act. They actually started doing some things better in life. They uh, maybe stopped doing drugs or something along those lines. You know, they developed better habits because that's some of the stuff that gets taught there. Nothing wrong with that stuff at all. It's good. We're, we're glad people are off drugs for sure. But that is not the gospel. The gospel is about how your sin has separated you from God and how you deserve God's wrath. And all, all we can do is come in repentance and ask for mercy from God. And now life change does come as a result of that, and that's wonderful. But they've skipped the whole repentance part. They've skipped the whole part about God's wrath being appeased by Christ's atoning death on the cross. They just skipped it. And and so you've got people who are inherently selfish, who are um, maybe learning some new life skills, but that inherent selfishness has actually been fed in a way. This idea that you're great and God is just trying to convince you of how, how good you really are and how capable you really are. You just don't know what you're capable of. And, and that's why all these sermons sound very similar to motivational speeches. Yeah, so that's right. So it really locks people in. And it creates, a, it creates a great atmosphere for a growing church. So Hillsong has been incredibly successful because of all those things. And, you know, um, it's honestly we're losing this battle uh, and we're we're picking up the tiny scraps of people who are who are left over like eric and we're giving them the answers to their questions but most people they don't care what we say because th- this is a very effective self self-contained system of ideas yeah that once you once you stay within that system that hillsong system and there are other churches that are doing the same thing it's almost impossible to get out and unfortunately when people do get out it's because they realize that you know, all these great things haven't happened and they just put their tail between their legs and they, they kind of whimper away. And unfortunately, they often whimper away from the Christian faith itself because they, that, they thought that that was Christian faith when, in fact, it wasn't at all. So if you're listening to this, we hope that you stick around long enough to, to get the gist of what we're really saying. And that is the true gospel message is fundamentally different than what you've been taught. Yep. And the, the true gospel message is what you really need. Yeah, for, now, for for actual life change, quote unquote, and yeah. it's not about life change anyway. It's about the forgiveness of sins. Yeah. Now, Eric, actually, I would say it is about life change, but it's ultimately the life change is visible for real in the resurrection <laughs> when you go from dead to alive. But that's a whole different uh, that talk about life change. But uh, yeah. Eric, you were when you were in this uh, movement. I mean, you you were like part of the Power Rangers, the way you describe your story. Tell us a little bit about the power you you wielded and how important you were. Um, well, oh, I'm thinking back now. It was in 1990 when I first came in contact with this sort of a, anointing or power or whatever it is that you want to call it, when that particular fellow, um, Vernon Falls, who has a 
prophetic ministry throughout Malaysia laid hands on me and it leveled me out cold for about half an hour. After that, there was a physical change in me where my hands would burn and you start to think of yourself as a bit of something, you know, you got the goods. You're laying hands on people, they're falling over. Some people were getting healed. Some people, I don't know for sure, they said that it was a demon, but I dare say uh, five cases in 20 years, I would say, were demonic possession in what I'd seen in some of the weirdest situations. A lot of it's emotional hype, a lot of anger, a lot of... um, just in a turmoil, these people just release because all of a sudden they've got no restraint. Hmm. And so, um, yeah, it was disturbing for me, but you do, you get this mentality that you've, you're some kind of special. And so, like you said, all of a sudden, look what God's doing. Oh, God must be moving in your life. The church starts growing. People start visiting, you know. You start to get into a bit of the limelight. You start rubbing shoulders with the leaders of Vineyard and you think, oh, you're somebody. I remember sitting back one afternoon there at a conference with Kevin Prosh just chatting and shooting the breeze. And I thought, oh, I must look cool up here on the stage talking to him. But you don't think of that till afterwards, like years afterwards, until God smacks you out of that. Yeah. So there, there's growth, but the growth isn't driven by people who are actually driven to their knees by the preaching of God's law, and they realize their sinfulness and their need of a Savior, and then Christ being placarded and him crucified for their sins, and then being called to repentant faith in Christ and bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. That's not the message. The reason why people are coming and, and these churches are growing is because of the wonders and the spectacle yeah, and, and another thing too, like you said, it's it becomes more of a behavioural modification centre where you go in, you stop cussing a little bit, you don't chew or spit or smoke near the church anymore, you wait till you get home for that and people start to accept you and then you start living two lives uh, and it's like it, it does you in. All right, so that's all kind of preface and 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 so you know, people are going to be immediately asking the question: Is that really what the NAR churches are all about? Yeah, actually, ultimately, they're not about Christ at all. They're all about you. Um, and the leaders are always kind of held up as the example of the person who did what was necessary. They 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 did their dues. They humbled themselves. They had the right yearning and passion, and then God rewarded them with special superpowers to prophesy, to cast out demons, to uh, they become. They, and now you've got the restoration of apostles, and they're going to take over the world. And there's a younger generation coming up. This Joel's army, and they're going to. Do these signs and and and, and it, it's a it's a completely different religion when you look at it just point by point. They give right. they give lip service to you know biblical orthodoxy, but good luck finding like you know you know any kind of preaching and teaching that actually even remotely sounds like historic biblical Christianity. This is the emphasis is all upon you turning into. Uh, you know, a superhero. You're the next Marvel comic, uh, you know, superhero who's discovered his latent power within them. You know, that's kind of the idea. 
All you right. know, uh, Chris, if I want, I want to go on another tangent because what you're describing there again goes back to my experience twenty uh, some years ago in Amway, and the idea that the the leaders on the stage who had made it, and they were now the diamonds, they talked about making a decision and really just throwing aside all uh, concerns and really going for it and paying the price. And that's what you hear from NAR uh, people, especially like uh, Heidi Baker, I think is the best example. Uh, but they all basically do the same thing. They talk about they went through this, um, this what's the word? It's like, uh, well, it's very much like uh, a monastic order where you you pay the price. You make this commitment and you're going to do whatever it takes. And then and God's going to run you through this, this uh, ringer. He's going to strip you of your dignity. He's going to make it really hard. He's going to pound you with something. You're going to have to go through some really difficult thing where you just say, I don't care anymore. I'm willing to do X, Y, and Z. And then you get the power. And then you get to uh, hear from God directly so that you can be his spokesperson. And it's really creepy when you when you kind of strip it apart and look at it objectively. But in the beginning, it sounds really enticing, like, wow, I want to be one of those people. I want to be the person that makes that decision to really go for it. Right. And that's why these revivals, uh, like that one that just happened, Awaken the Dawn, it's always full of people yelling at you, getting more excited and telling you about what they did, and you can do the same thing. There, there's never any just talking. It always has to be emotionally uh, driven because the, the underlying idea is that everybody can do these great things. You just haven't been pumped up enough yet, and you haven't made the decision to really go for it. And to, and of course, then you got to buy the book, or you got to go to the next conference, or you got to get the DVDs. Yeah. Because no one ever actually does anything. They just talk about the stuff that they sort of have done. Yeah, and and so the, so now you're kind of talking about kind of the machine that you know, perpetuates this. Is yeah. that in order to pull this off, um, this emphasis, they've always got to keep people kind of whipped up into some type of an emotional fervor where the brain is turned off. And if this person won the, uh, you know, the, the lottery and God has blessed them and, you know, he's going to call my number next, <laughs> you, you know, kind yes. of thing. Okay. So, uh, all right. <laughs> What would you say, Eric? Oh, I was just having a laugh. I had had about the same thought about that. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Eric, you didn't go into a lot of detail, but I think it's important to lay this foundational issue, and that is there are those who are against the New Apostolic Reformation or the Word of Faith or the Signs and Wonders type churches, and they say that everything is just um, psychosomatic. There, there is no real healing. There is no supernatural activity. It's all just, um, you know, smoke and mirrors. And, and I, don't, I don't think that's a healthy perspective because, yes, there is some smoke and mirrors for sure, but there are also legitimate supernatural things happening, and they are not of God. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience in that regard? Um, I can give you a pretty clear-cut example uh, with the fellow that, was the one that laid hands on me in um, 1990, Vernon Falls. I saw him preaching in a AOG church. Can you Penn's say, uh, by the way, AOG stands for Assemblies of God, in case anybody's wondering. Yes, they are now called ACC, Hillsong, whatever you want to call them. But, yeah, it was a, an old AOG church. 
and uh, he was preaching in there, and that was the first time I ever saw somebody have a hand held out towards them and be asked to stand up out of a wheelchair, and I saw a crippled lady stand up and get out and walk out of the wheelchair. What do you do with that? Hmm. Um, they happen, the healings happen. There was people that I prayed for that I know in Indonesia, they had no idea what I was saying because they didn't understand me. I didn't understand them, but they were getting healed at different times. And it's not all the time, but it does happen. Right. And it becomes a, uh, a stamp of approval in the minds of most people. Well, this has to be of God. It was supernatural. There's no natural explanation. So, therefore, everything these people are teaching has got to be the truth. It's the, it's the New Testament church, finally. We're doing it just like they used to do in the book of Acts, right? Yeah, at least that's yep. the thought. Um, now, that's, it's, important, the thought. it's important to note that Christ himself warned that this would be a part of what would happen in the end times and would be part of a great deception. Right in uh, in Matthew twenty four in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus talking about what would be happening in the last days specifically warns that there will be false Christs and false prophets. And it's important when we hear the word Christ, uh, we need to capture its actual, real biblical meaning and import. Um, one of the big things within the NAR is they talk about what's called the anointing. That right. person is r- anointed for these things. The, the Greek word Christos, you know, uh, literally means anointed one. So when we talk, when scripture warns, and this is what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 24, for false anointed ones, I think that's a fair translation, and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. And so, you know, the last days were inaugurated with Christ's ascension into heaven and uh, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And uh, since then, there have been false anointed ones and false prophets, and there's there's a proliferation of these nowadays. In fact, it's like the entire NAR movement is literally set up as a factory. This is a factory that creates false anointed ones and false prophets, and this, these signs and wonders that accompany them are actually what Jesus said would happen, but you you have to check the theology the theology and the message and the goal and the and the whole emphasis of the entire thing is something completely different than what the apostles taught and what the church has historically believed itself and so yeah i, I it's you know you know i Eric, I agree. Yeah, it sounds like you know you've seen some stuff. You sit there and go, "That was an actual wonder," but that was a wonder designed to kind of keep you entrapped in a false theological system. Well, that that was one of the biggest issues I started to have when um, I got involved with the Vineyard when they were established here in Australia, and it was the mentality that. John Wimber started to breed in the leaders and in myself as well was, well, it says in the Bible, if we're going to ask God for a fish, is he going to give us a stone? And that was all they had to back up 
what was happening in a lot of these churches. That's it. That's all they had. There was no substance to what was going on. And I said to them, I said, so you're telling me that you ask for it. I said, that's like me going into a shop and asking for a sandwich and somebody makes a mistake and I walk out with it and you go, well, that's okay. God must have wanted you to have it like that in the end anyway. Hmm. They change. They're like chameleons. I'm getting really cranky here, but they are. They're like chameleons that will adapt to deceive and Mm -hmm. manipulate any way they can. And, yeah, and, uh, and John, for those who don't know, John Wimber was the uh, the guy who did everything and said everything exactly like Bill Johnson at Bethel Church, and and he died, and Bill Johnson has replaced him. But the teachings yeah. are the same. It's been going on for forty years. Yeah, and some of, the, some some a, of the guys in the I, NAR were too I, wacky for Wimber. Yeah, um, I was at the. Uh, Horden Pavilion in Australia when John Wimber came out and did one of those crusade things. And seriously, man, you're talking wheelchairs, crutches, stuff lying around everywhere when people left. And now this is in the early 90s. John gets sick, dies of cancer, and on his way out, all those guys, Bickle, Joyner, John Paul Jackson, Chian, the whole lot of them, Bill Johnson, they were too mental for John when he was in the vineyard trying to help them Stop going off the deep end, and John was as mental as you could put. It was, it was a, it was an absolute mess, Chris and Steve. Honestly, it really was. It still is today. Yeah. All right. We've got 16, 16 churches left from the vineyard in Australia out of over a hundred and thirty. I think they were at their peak, and they're flogging a dead horse. There's just, it's just nothing. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Let's let's turn the corner a little bit here. So. All of that kind of being foundational work, and it, it this is the, you have to challenge your core assumptions as to the message, the method, the ecclesiology, everything. The you know the whole NAR system is a machine that creates false prophets, false apostles, false anointed ones, and it's got people engaging in a lot of religious act. Activities, in fact, so much so they're very, very busy in these religious activities. But it's like being stuck in the mud in a truck. You're spinning your wheels. You're going nowhere, and it doesn't actually produce the things it promises. Now, when we talk about the New Apostolic Reformation, and uh, you know that is a particular branch of and a growing branch within the wider charismatic movement, and it's being mainlined into uh, the kind of generic uh, non-denominational Christianity. Uh, you know, Literally, as we speak, I think this is one of the greatest threats, if not the greatest threat that evangelicalism faces right now, is the, is the new apostolic reformation. And um, when you read people who have been a part of the NAR, you know, from the beginning, have written books uh, promoting modern-day apostles and prophets and things like that, uh, in the past, they have identified, no joke, this is, you know, NAR stuff, they have identified none other than Brian Houston as being an apostle. 
And I think that is something that must be taken seriously. And um, if you read like the Apostolic Revolution, uh, this is a book that explains the role of apostles. The uh, Apostles are the guys who kind of like bring order to the church and they cast vision for multiple churches and they organize people and, and you know, they're, they're the generals in God's army. And within NAR, the NAR itself, people who are unmistakably and unashamedly uh, NAR, where some of them are part of it and don't want to, the name to be associated with them, they have identified Brian Houston in the past as being an apostle. Um, what do you guys think of this idea that uh, that Brian Houston is an apostle who doesn't wear the uh, the moniker for himself, but operates in that office anyway? Go ahead, Eric. You want me to crack at it? <laughs> of course. Um, <clears throat> I'd push back a little bit further too when Yongi Cho used to call Frank Houston an apostle. Yep. Before he brought, before he even called Brian an apostle, um, I don't think Brian wants to wear the hat in Australia because the hat of an NAR apostle. If you have a look at the ones that are running around out there at the moment, um. The majority of Aussies would call them straight up and say they're they're they're, they're bullheads. They're they're off their head because um, Brian's smooth. Mm-hmm. A lot of these NAR guys aren't smooth. They thrive on um, a blind following. People follow them blindly. Whereas Brian's a lot smoother. I don't think he'd like the controversy. He wouldn't like the limelight that these guys get, especially with people that are involved in anything to do with apologetics or polemics. Um, it's not good for the good for the um, the brand. Right. That's a that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. I, I see Brian Houston as a guy who is constantly riding the fence between the uh, latter reign New Apostolic Reformation foundation of his father. And on the other side of the fence, he's he's like a corporate spokesperson for the Hillsong Corporation more than he is a pastor. And he's got this gigantic conglomerate. And every time he speaks, he seems to be uh, carefully using his words in order to maintain as much power and, and keep his brand as shiny as possible. Yeah. So uh, he's got the um, – he's certainly got the uh, the New Apostolic Reformation background and he's got the foundational teachings there, but he's polished them up and he's modernized them and he's taken away some of the rough edges so that it looks more, um, a little bit more like just a positive thinking guy. He's kind of doing what Joel Osteen did. Joel Osteen took his father's very Pentecostal speaking in tongues church and he eliminated some of the weird stuff. Like he'll never talk about speaking in tongues anymore. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even use the Bible anymore. He, he talks about positive thinking and reaching your goals and having a better life. And he's grown his church like crazy, just like Brian Houston has grown his church like crazy by taking away some of those uh, awkward, you know, Pentecostal kind of uh, teachings that that were the foundation of his church. And they're still there; they're just under the surface. Yeah, they, they, they're not they're not trotted out and you know, kind of featured or highlighted, but they do come up from time to time. I, listen, yep. I want I want you guys to listen to this. Uh, um, soundbite from Brian Houston talking about uh, you know how the Holy Spirit fell on some Roman Catholic ladies and uh, and what was the aftermath of that? Listen to this. What was awesome was that night 
That Sunday night, we had like a revival type night in New York City after a big conference. And Robert Ferguson got up and started to challenge people about being filled with the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the next day I saw these ladies and they're so joyful. They come up to Bobby and I, they're so excited because they said, we got filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of them said, I just said, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary 10 times. And all of a sudden I was speaking in tongues. I thought that is unbelievable. That is awesome. Is that the way I believe that you get filled with the Holy Spirit? No. Is she really filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, I'll tell you what Jesus said. He said, if a son asks for bread, you're going to give him a stone. How much more would your father give good things to those who ask him? Don't box God. All right. Don't box God. So uh, the way you get filled by the Holy Spirit is by saying, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary. Yeah, he was he was using your playbook, Eric. He said exactly what you said these people say. Yep. I can't believe it. I didn't listen to that clip before that, and then I just sat here and just went, oh, my word, he's plagiarizing me. I'm going to get Driscoll on him. That's just not right. <laughs> but can I tell you, this is, this is interesting because when we were going to the AOG church, there was a pastor that was wanting Joanna, my 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 uh, feisty little wife there, to speak in tongues. And he's talking to her and he's going, listen, all you have to do is go ba 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 And she's, she just looks, I'm not a bloody baby. Can you explain to me what it is you're trying to tell me? Sometimes you've just got to, like, you know, jump start it and it'll just happen. And I just sat there and I thought, oh, man, she's a gracious wife, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, she had no hubba bubba bubble gum coming out afterwards. But they think you can get baptized any way you like. Yeah, yeah. So, and you'll notice the "don't box God" admonition at the end there. You know, it's like you know, hey, we the Holy Spirit can do what the Holy Spirit wants to do, and He's going to fall on people, and they're going to speak. It doesn't matter what their doctrine, doesn't matter what their theology is. What it matters is the experience. And that's really a problem because you sit there and you go, why would God the Holy Spirit fall on these Roman Catholic ladies who were invoking Mary and and clearly their theology regarding Mary and, and you know all the whole Roman Catholic system is at odds with biblical Christianity and you don't box God. God can do whatever He's gonna do. And it was just great that they had this experience. And I think what I, I think kind of helps to highlight here, not only the bad doctrine that goes along with the experience. Notice the theology is driven by these experiences. But this shows clearly, uh, an example where Brian Houston lets his hair down, not much hair left, but he lets his hair down. And uh, in letting his hair down, he, you can see all of his um, charismatic latter rain roots kind of popping out. Right. Mate, it, it reminds me of that old book, The King's Got No Clothes On, when he does that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, John Wimber used to do the same thing, Chris, and, and it was in regards to theology. His concept was it doesn't matter the source as long as you can produce the goods. And that's where I started to see, I'm talking early 90s when they were embracing the Catholic Church back then, bringing in Madame Guyon with the contemplative prayer yeah. and a lot of mystical fathers of the church. And I, 
doesn't shock me at all to hear me to hear Brian say that. Honestly, it really doesn't. Not now. Right. Yep. Now, real quick, one of the one of the I mean central concepts to the New Apostolic Reformation is the belief that God has given a strategy for take for the church to really kind of take over the world um and fulfill the great commission and it's in it's overtly a different emphasis and a completely different strategy than the strategy Jesus gave in Luke 24 Jesus said go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in my name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem that's the, that's how this works they on the other hand they they see the kind of the great commission as you know make disciples of all nations well that's a global thing but they've they've kind of reworked how this all works and they have embraced in the NAR embraces and promotes as a central core doctrine the concept of what has is known as the seven mountains mandate and Hillsong explicitly teaches this. Um, they call them spheres. They've changed it from mountains to spheres to kind of polish it up, you know, to work with the Hillsong brand. But I, I want you to listen to this is an extended soundbite from uh, from uh, Joe Abel, and this is Hillsong Conference uh, 2016, and him, you know, kind of laying all this out. And, and again, a, a long soundbite. But worth the listen because, you know, halfway through the soundbite, he's going to take the time to explicitly teach this uh, way of fulfilling the Great Commission and stuff. And uh, I, I think this is one of the most damning bits of evidence, if you would, as far as is Hillsong part of the NAR. Let's listen in. of grace in terms of a sphere or a measure, grace that is personalized, stylized with your name on it. We, however, will not boast without measure or beyond our measure, but within the limits of the sphere that God appointed, that's the sphere that especially includes you. Okay, a little bit of a note here, just want to emphasize, notice he's talking about Specialized grace for your sphere. That's Brian Houston. Let's keep going. A sphere, a sphere that especially includes you. Jesus said, I will build my church. And it's so evident today as we gather, he is building his church. In Matthew, the first gospel, around chapter 5, Jesus is up the mountain. It's considered the first sermon that Jesus preached. And in chapter 5, he says, you are the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And you don't put a basket over a light that is intended to light up the world for everybody. Everywhere we go, we tread out this different light. I'm not really good at dancing, but you put this one on and I don't even have to move. Just so you know, he's wearing LED enhanced sneakers. Yeah, that's what he's pointing to. 
You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You think about the different parts of the world that we all come from. And we are to be lights in all those different worlds. Isaiah said, how beautiful it is on the mountains with the feet of those that bring good news. Pastor Brian wrote the mission statement of Hillsong Church. And it says, to reach and influence the world by building a large Christ-centered Bible-based church. Changing mindsets and empowering people to lead an, every, an impact in every sphere of life. To lead an impact in every sphere of life. It's the first sentence that really gets me. To reach and influence the world. I mean, what is the world? What does the world look like? I think for most of us, we think about the world geographically. We think about the globe that spins. Now, notice he said, reach and influence the world. He didn't say, proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins, bring them to penitent faith in Christ. But to reach and influence the world. That's a different emphasis altogether. Let's keep listening. Maybe we think about the different countries that we're all from. Different parts of the world that we've visited. When we think the world, to reach and influence the world, take this gospel message into the whole world. We think geographically, so quickly. Go around the world, come down to Australia. Here we are at Hillsong Conference, down into Sydney, this part of Sydney in the Olympic Arena, out at Homebush in the western suburbs of Sydney. That's geographic. But maybe there's another way to think about the world, reach and influence the world. Maybe the world we should look at is more relational. You think about me who lives here, my wife and I, Julie and I live here in Sydney. We've got great friends up in London, Gary and Kathy Clark. We've got friends up in New York, Carl and Laura Lentz. We've got friends over in Cape Town, Phil and Lucinda Dooley. And you think about their friendships and their circle of friends, and you see that together we are relationally connected around the world. Now my world doesn't just have to be geographical, it's relational. So whilst my world is not as big as the world geographically, my world may not be seven and a half billion people. My world is hundreds or thousands of people, my friends and the friends they know, and that's my circle of influence. Well, if you come back to a local church, every single one of us, hopefully, are connected to a local church. And if you think about the local church, we all come from different parts of society. We come into a local church. We come from different sectors, or if you like, different spheres. We come out of the business sphere into church life. We come out of family. We come out of the media and out of arts and entertainment. We come out of government, out of religion, out of all these different areas, education, and we congregate together. We gather. The church is where we gather together. We get built up like Pastor Brian was saying in the last session, and then we get sent back out into our respective spheres. The gospel message is not meant to be a message that is only for Sunday. It's not just about we run from the big bad world and hide here inside the church. We get built up here so that we can go back into the world and reach and influence the world for Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians, in the message translation, the church, you see, it's not peripheral to the world. It's not an addendum. It doesn't stick outside the world like some, maybe one great priority, one good option. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. The church becomes central to society. What we're doing in this session of spheres is taking experts in their field, experts 
in their sphere and hopefully empowering all of us to reach and influence our sphere for Christ. Welcome to Spheres. Mm-hmm. So a uh, big heavy push on this Spheres thing. And what's interesting, if you were to find the video and look at the graphic associated with it, is the different spheres are government, religion, arts and entertainment, business, media, education, family. Same as the seven mountains. And I'm not sure what does it mean to influence people for Christ. What exactly is that? Yeah. Yeah, the whole thing is just so vague. It really frustrates me because it has uh, enough truth in it that it, you know, it really is just an overly complicated and um, messed up version of the simple idea of vocation, you know, that we can we can share the gospel with people that we uh, are involved in in our in our lives it's not that difficult to understand but to say that we need experts in certain fields to somehow influence their sphere or their mountain it ultimately doesn't really make any sense it sounds good um but just just so people know this idea came from bill bright and lauren cunningham bill bright from campus crusade for christ and uh, lauren cunningham from youth with a mission Back in the 70s, I believe it was 75, my memory is correct, they both claimed that God gave them a very specific vision. He spoke to them directly and said that we, are, we have a new way of reaching the world. This is going to be the key to reaching the world. And they both received the same seven things, and they got together, and they went, wow, you got that from God? I got the same thing. It must be from God. And so they've been teaching it ever since. And nothing has really changed. In fact, I would say that there are a lot of people who took this teaching and they went to Hollywood thinking, I'm going to go be a movie star or I'm going to be a rock star or I'm going to get into business and make millions of dollars like they told me to and I'm going to be a person of influence. And what happened was they actually lost their faith because they got so entrenched in the worldliness of their quote-unquote mountain that they actually lost their faith. And, And it doesn't make any sense. It literally doesn't make sense. We're supposed to just share the gospel. Period. Done. It's as simple as that. And of course, the church is the church. This idea that one of the mountains is the mountain of religion? What the heck is that? Uh, yeah, I know. What, what is the religion mountain? I mean, does what that mean heck? that does Christianity then influence Buddhism for Jesus? I mean, what is and what exactly does that look like? What does it mean? You know, it, yeah. it gets real. I mean, the details are super sketchy on its face, yep. and yet this is a mainstream evangelical concept now and doctrine which is not that's not found in scripture at all um it's it's not there but if you really want to understand it better you talk to lance wall now the commander of the millibars and he'll explain it to you (laughs) if you take one of his courses commander millibar yeah he's he seems to be a miserable (laughs) commander of millibars irma you know and you know, and all of these hurricanes. It just anyway. So so uh, hey guys, uh, yeah. Sorry, my two cents worth in there on that one too. Yeah. Um, what I found interesting too was the way that he slipped those spheres in. It reminded me of subliminal messaging. You know, back in the old days when it was about two or three seconds long, where if you were actually focused, thinking, and listening, you'd see it. Most of those people in the churches, this stuff just gets spoken. It gets it gets programmed into you. Now, I used to be involved in a leadership meeting here in um, my 
hometown, I'll just say it, that's enough. And the leaders would meet every week to pray. And, man, seriously, the last time I, I left, they were praying exactly what you're talking about here. They wanted to be businesses of influence in the community so that they could show that God blesses them and then people would know that he is Lord. I seriously, I lost it in the last meeting, got up and told them and just said, you guys are a joke. I said, we got people dying and going to hell and all you care about is your wallet. I said, Mm -hmm. that's it, I'm out. And I never went back. You know, it's just too much for me. Yeah, no, yeah it, is, it is about the wallet as well as power. I, one of the things I find fascinating is just how um, influential Hillsong and the NAR are in uh, in local governments and, you know, and things like that. Uh, tell us about uh, – Eric, tell us about your experience with uh, uh, Jason Hooper and uh, how apparently uh, the NAR's influence within uh, the sphere of government – uh, helped get him off of uh, a, a drunk driving charge. Yeah, well, that was uh, going back about uh, five years now, 2012 it was. Um, about a week before Jason arrived in town, the pastor that was inviting me and a friend, I was talking to them and he told me, oh, listen, you should come along. We've got Jason Hooper, you know, and it's you know, from your old days, and straight away I've just gone, oh, no. I said, do you realise who you are getting into our valley? And he's gone, what do you mean? I said, he is one of Rick Joyner's cronies. I said, the guy is a fool. And the guy kept going, oh, seriously, my mate dragged the pastor off and said, we've got to go, Eric's getting cranky here. So I go to this shindig, right? I took an elder with me and my wife because they'd never seen a circus in real life like this. And sadly, I sat there and pretty much transcribed which way the meeting was going from what and how I was taught back in the day too in regards to responding to the crowd when you'd use certain phrases or certain stories that would draw them and start to channel that attention. And we had to leave early because the guy got there late and the sad thing was we're walking out the door and he started using me and my wife and the elders and the, as a um, an example of what happens when you start talking about the spirit. All the religious spirits start to get rustled. And he said, there you go. There's a couple leaving now. And my mate was in the church. He told me later, he says, I was nearly on my knees just asking the Lord to shut your ears and not hear that because he knew I would have gone off. But Jason had been drinking. All weekend, I had people telling me, saying, there's something wrong with this guy. He's just not right. He'd been on the Terps all weekend, and it it ended at about 11.30 on Sunday morning after he'd preached that morning at the um, Christian Outreach Centre Church. He mounted a gutter, hit a couple of cars on the way, took out a um, street sign and a flower pot stand on the side of the road in Maxville, about 45 minutes north of here. He was 0.204 on the blood alcohol limit. Now, in Australia, 0.08 will get you locked up usually. Um, It went to court pretty quick. He was on the front page paper. He was known, um, what was it? Legless pastor, walks again. It was a brilliant article, and it showed me 
that there was something wrong. So I got involved in this one because he got let off scot-free. He walked and I um, pursued it with the local member of parliament in the area. We chased it up to the Attorney's General's office and basically we got a letter back stating pretty much what the judge had done and said in his judgment is final. We can't have any influence on that. But the cracker was Hooper was brought into Australia by Hillsong. So as soon as he was in trouble, they dropped him, absolutely left him stranded, but everything else was taken care of, mate, and I was blown away. I even contacted Morningstar Ministries, and they even told me while the guy was still in Australia, oh, yes, Pastor Rick had dealt with that at church, and I, I emailed him back. I said, you can't be for real. The guy's still in Australia. How do you deal with an idiot like that? And it just amazes me because the, the judge that let this guy off had lost his daughter to a DUI driver in Australia. I'd never seen him be so lenient ever in my life with such a high blood alcohol reading. It was just huh. it was too too good to be true. So so it was Hillsong that brought Hooper into Australia for this particular yeah, that, event. They would I think it was Ben Hughes and his wife and Jason Hooper were touring, doing their little talks. And the irony was is that they were talking about healing and going around and doing all that sort of stuff. Ben Hughes was back in Sydney with his wife in hospital because she was a crook. I was in stitches. Wow. I thought, there's the fruit of their healing ministries. They can't even heal their own. Yeah. Hmm. So, so... Yeah, I think they take this, um, you know, influencing the sphere of government. Uh, it sounds like they take that influence very seriously. And there's w very well connected people in government who are associated with and affiliated with Hillsong. So, um, all right. They've even had they've had the prime ministers and and all the parliamentarians go through Hillsong. It's a it's a great thing, you know. It's a good promotion for Brian, and it makes the pollies look good too in the elections. You know, oh, they bit of a Christian Christian side to that fella. He can't be that bad. Yeah, right. Yeah. <sighs> okay, so um, yeah. By the way, has uh, Brian Houston signed on to the Nashville statement yet? You know, which is so clear. But... <laughs> Should we expect he'd, to hear him doing that? Mate, he'd sign on it if it was a country and western song. That's about it. Yeah, okay. Seriously. Yeah. All right, let's... Nash let's Nashville let's statement is amazing, by the way. I just wanted to say that. Yeah, no, I I, I think... I, I talked about it on my program, basically said this isn't rocket surgery. This is... I mean, it's just a simple restating and summary of what Scripture reveals regarding the fact that God made us male and female, and that uh, the place for sex is in a you know is in a monogamous heterosexual marriage, and everything outside of that, including homosexuality and transgenderism and polyamory, these are all sins that God has spoken against, and Christ has bled and died for, and there, and that people can be forgiven of. I just thought it was a it was a you know well done statement and. You know, but uh, I, I haven't heard if uh, you know if uh, Brian Houston has signed it yet. Has Carl Lentz signed the Nashville statement yet? I mean, I'd, I'd like to know. You know, so. <laughs> it'd be interesting. Yeah, I, I don't think they would. I can't message him or tweet him because he's blocked me. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, Brian Houston and I don't get along either. Uh, so anyway, um, 
All right, NAR missiology. All right, NAR missiology. I want I want you to kind of you know hear this this um, and this is a quote taken from Carl Lentz. And, and this is it's about taking authority and controlling and dominion. I mean, the NAR talks in these ways. Um, here's a quote from Lentz. Quote. As Christians, we aren't called to be spectators. How many times have I heard that? We're called to take action. Hillsong, New York City, Pastor Carl Lentz teaches a powerful four-week series that teaches students to see themselves how God sees them, as agents for change in his kingdom, which you know, kind of begs the question, what is that? So uh, what does it mean to be an agent for change uh, in the kingdom, can you guys explain to me what what is a change agent? And by the well, way, the NAR talks this way a lot. Yeah, when when uh, the uh, previous clip that you played, I don't know if it was Brian Houston or the other guy, but they did say uh, something like um, bringing the gospel to other nations. They they don't uh, they don't explain what the gospel is. And when they do, it's a different gospel. It's the gospel of the kingdom. They may actually talk about Jesus dying for your sins, but it's only one piece of a larger uh, group of things. And a big element of this gospel of the kingdom is not just accepting Jesus so that you can have your sins forgiven, as they would put it. It's much more than that. It's about uh, having an impact and becoming a leader and uh uh, you know, ch- changing the atmosphere or changing the, your surroundings, uh, yeah. taking dominion, all those things to a, a, an actual uh, Bible-believing Christian, we we see it through the lens of our biblical understanding. And we just think, oh, well, that just means, you know, be a good Christian and, you know, try to preach to people and invite them to church and all that stuff that Christians have always believed. But it's really distinct from that. It's specifically saying that the role of the Christian— is is to go out and and actually change things because that's what God requires of us. That's how God works in the world. God's kind of got his hands tied and he's waiting for us to go out and do things. And what those things are does seem to change depending on which guy you're listening to or which book you're reading. But yeah. it's the gospel of the kingdom only begins with Jesus being our our uh savior and then it adds a bunch of other stuff. So I think that needs to be clarified cuz Otherwise, it sounds like we're against the proclamation of the gospel, you know, in, in some way. And, yeah. and that's, of course, not what we're against at all. It's We're against the proclamation of a false gospel. Yeah. The gospel of the kingdom in, in NAR parlance is, is specifically a completely different gospel than the gospel of salvation. And right. um, and so the gospel of the kingdom is about the demonstrations of God's power and glory and things like that in our lives for the purpose of making people go, wow, what's different about you? I want to be a Christian too. Why is it you're so rich? Why is it you never get cold? How come you have so much power and influence? And you sit there and go, well, it's because Jesus, man. That's the thing that makes the difference. And you go, well, I want some Jesus too, you know? <laughs> yeah, this is kind of like the attractional church model just amplified a bit. Not only are you supposed to have a positive attitude and be a good person, but you're supposed to actually have the supernatural power, you know, to command things to happen. It's 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 like a Christian sorcery. Yeah. You know, the the NAR version of being att- attractive to the unsaved world 
means that you're supposed to actually have supernatural powers that attract people. And then they say, wow, I really believe in God now. I didn't believe in God when I heard about the gospel message of Jesus dying for my sins. That wasn't good enough. But now that you made my legs the, the correct length, you know, now that you fixed my aching back, now that my headache went away, now I really believe that God loves me. Jesus dying on the cross was okay, but this you 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 clinch the deal with your supernatural abilities, right? And I and really I pathetic. And I think the lyrics to the Hillsong song, uh, you know, uh, touching heaven, changing earth. I mean, that's really all about this kind of taking dominion, changing the world, and which is straight up NAR theology. It's not biblical, and it's not the advancing of the the actual gospel. You know, which by the way, scripture clearly defines what the gospel is, and I think that I you you mentioned the fact that they're really vague. It's like they they use these words, but they don't ever seem to define them in any kind of clear manner. You almost have to kind of catch it by sticking around for a while. I think what they're saying is this, but they never they they ever really come right out and say it, especially Hillsong. I mean, I. I out of all of the sermons and things I've reviewed from Hillsong, I don't think I've ever really heard the, the gospel pr- clearly proclaimed. In fact, one of the sermons I reviewed from Brian Houston a few years back, he was talking about the importance of the gospel and and you know how the gospel changes our lives and how we need to preach the gospel. And throughout the whole sermon, I said, "Would you please tell me what it is?" You know, I remember that. You know, it that was, was incredible. It was it was absolutely. It's all talking about it without actually saying what it is or actually proclaiming the message that is the gospel. And Scripture clearly defines that for us, where it says, Now I would remind you, brothers, 1 Corinthians 15, 1, uh, the Apostle Paul says, I would remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached, unless you believed in vain. For I decided, uh, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures that's the gospel in a nutshell christ bleeding and dying for our sins rising from the grave on the third day you want to boil it all down and there's a lot that you can unpack from that you know, because that then begs the question why did Jesus have to die for our sins what does that mean you know you have to use other biblical text to flesh out you know the fuller meaning of it but but i i cannot remember the last time i heard anybody associated with hillsong substantively preach about christ bleeding and dying for our sins the necessity of that the penal substitution and defining sin according to how God's word defines it, you know, in, in its different manifestations where we run afoul of, of God's holy commandments and laws and, uh, and then calling people to repent, to be forgiven and to have trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and being reconciled to God through what Christ has done. I don't hear that message over and again, you know, I, I, when I hear them use the word gospel, um, it sounds like it's been changed into take over everything. The good news that we are going to be under the benevolent um, dictatorship of Jesus Christ, and we want to influence the world so that they'll bend the knee and submit to his his uh, his will or something like that. It's it's a it's a dominion gospel. It's a power gospel. 
Um, it's a take control, kind of almost like a, a, a Christian Sharia gospel, but it's not mm-hmm. the gospel. Do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of a dominion social gospel. Exactly. I just, ten years, I just spent 10 years in the Presbyterian church and, you know, straight up uh, the social gospel, the whole center church that Keller's into, it, this is so similar. You're going to impact society and by what you do, People will know God. It's almost like they rip the Holy Spirit right out of the guts of the gospel, and he has no authority to move on somebody's life unless they see miracles or unless they see this, unless we do this. And it becomes a gospel of do, 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 do. A, a gospel of do, do? <laughs> <laughs> Lots of do, do. And it does because, like you said, they call it the kingdom now gospel. The kingdom gospel, straight up, the name itself, it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's, yeah, I just, uh. and, and what's this atmosphere changing thing? And boy, do they make a heavy emphasis about that at Hillsong, the the changing of atmospheres. I mean, every time I hear that phrase, I just scratch my head and go, what is, what is the cash value of an atmospheric change? And why is it so important that you guys keep talking about these things? Or, or shifting the atmosphere. But Just, in Australia, the only time you want to shift the atmosphere is when you open the outhouse door, mate. You know, <laughs> I don't understand what he's talking about either. Yeah, thanks for it, taking it, us there, Eric. That was really great. Thanks. <laughs> but it, it's a bizarre statement. What, what, what does he mean, the atmosphere? It's like, are they trying to make it so hard to understand that people are just going to, oh, yeah, they must know what they're talking about. I'm just going to follow them anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And big emphasis in the NAR on revival, or at least a forthcoming revival. And, you know, I would I would say that Hillsong would probably see itself as kind of tip of the spear in you know, kind of leading the charge on whatever this new end times revival is. I mean, after all, I mean, they have to be doing something right. Look at all the bazillions of people who uh, who listen to them, sing their songs, um, you know, go to their churches. I mean, you know, Pastor Roseboro, the only reason why you're talking about them so negatively is because you're jealous because you serve a tiny congregation in the middle of rural Minnesota. I mean, that's the reason why you're you're complaining about them, right? Isn't that how that yeah. works? Yeah, numbers don't which, lie, Chris. You know, whoever's got the big numbers, they're just uh, proof that they're the ones that God is really using. Which that's that is so ingrained in the mind of minds of most evangelicals that it's really hard to to go any further because th- that that's the way most Christians think. He's got a big church. Don't question him. We need to have lots of people become Christians, and he's doing it. He may not be doing it perfect like you want him to, but at least he's doing it, and um, that's as far as it goes. And uh, revivalism is something that I've been reading a lot about the last few years, and it's a distinctly American uh, understanding of Christianity, which basically says the church is good, the church is fine, the church is nice, but really what we need is a revival. If we don't have a revival, you know, the church is incapable of really— accomplishing what God wants to have uh, happen on the earth. And uh, Hillsong has been very closely aligned with the major uh, New Apostolic Reformation, hyper-charismatic 
revival movements. They had uh, Rodney Howard Brown come there back yep. in the 90s. Yep. So there's a, there's a very close relationship to Hillsong and the most fringe elements of the, uh, you know, the handful of revivals that have taken place with all the laughing and, you know, all the weird things going on. They've been closely related to all of that. Yeah. In fact, when uh, Rodney Howard Brown uh, went to Australia at, and he was at C3 Church, you know, the, the Houston royal family was there, Brian, Bobby, Frank Hazel, they were all present, um, you know, when uh, Rodney Howard Brown uh, came to uh, Australia and they were there, you know, for that uh, laughing revival thing. So, on the front row. Yeah, they were right there on the front row. You know, it's and like, still, still AOG had spoken out against this very thing back in the 70s. And there was Brian sitting in the front row, listening to that Holy Ghost bartender carrying on like a goon. Yeah, the um, the, uh, the latter rain movement, which was in the late forties, started in Canada. It was stamped out by the Assemblies of God. The Assemblies of God, at least back then, they had a much more serious grasp of theology and they knew that the letter rain movement had some heretical teachings one of them was that you could pass along the holy spirit by touching somebody uh and and passing along what they called the anointing which is so common today that everybody just thinks it's normal but the assemblies of god was against this they believed that if the holy spirit was going to be working in somebody's life it would be because that person uh, were very humble and they were uh, taking the time to repent and they were seeking after God and after a, a long period of this humbling and seeking after God, then maybe they would get some kind of an anointing. If you just could pass it along by touching somebody, it just bypassed all of that stuff that they believed was important. Another element of the latter rain movement was this idea that we would have these end time apostles and prophets who would lead us to the return of Christ, that the church was in desperate straits because the end of the world was right around the corner and God was going to help us through this difficult time by giving us these new apostles who were just like the apostles in the Bible. And they were going to give us, God was going to give us prophets who were going to give us special new words that would help us get through this difficult time. And this is not new. The Latter Rain movement did it in the 40s. Um, Charles Parham did it at the turn of the century. There were other people that did it uh, centuries beforehand. And the Assemblies of God, not the cessationist, but the actual Assemblies of God was against this teaching, and it was clamped down. Uh, it spread a little bit here and there. William Branham took these ideas, and then he died in a car crash, so that got kind of uh, subdued. But it reemerged in the International House of Prayer, it, in, in the Kansas City Prophets. It reemerged in um, what... Um, Wimber was teaching, and it's really reemerged big time through the Toronto Airport Blessing Movement in the Brownsville Revival yeah. and in the, um, the subsequent revival since then. And it's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And unfortunately, we look like the you know the cranky people that you know are holding fast to some old confessional statements from hundreds of years ago that nobody cares about. But to be fair, the Assemblies of God itself, which is a, you know, a, a quote-unquote charismatic or Pentecostal denomination, was against some of these things themselves. Right. So we're actually on their side. This is really not an issue of should people speak in tongues or not. That's a separate issue. And I keep bringing this up because as soon as you talk against something like the New Apostolic Reformation, what happens is your opponents say, oh, you're just against the speaking in tongues. I'm like, well, you know, that's a separate issue. 
because there are people who do speak in tongues who are also against the New Apostolic Reformation because they recognize these very uh, serious heretical beliefs. Yeah. But that latter rain movement did merge into um, the Hillsong Church, first through Frank Hillsong and the church that he established in the 70s, which was taken over by Brian. Uh, yeah. Later, which and they changed the name to Hillsong. So there's a little bit of history. I'm going to post more of that stuff so that if you want to do your research, uh, you can. Yeah, the best thing I could say here is that is that clearly, you know, in an you know uh, an hour and a half of radio, we're barely going to be able to scratch the surface. And I I think that uh, the the best thing I could recommend that somebody do is is to actually do the research. And what they will find is, and do, and uh, we'll have a bunch of links with today's episode when it's posted, um, is when you do the research, you will find that Hillsong is just an extremely well-polished outlet for NAR ideas, doctrines, concepts, ecclesiology, um, all of the pneumatology and everything. It's just that it's the best package version of it and all of the kind of strange kooky bits that oftentimes are associated with the NAR, uh, Brian Houston, for the most part, has done a good job of scrubbing that off of their brand, but it's it's behind the facade. It's still there. He still theologically is in agreement with the latter rain and the NAR, and everything is organized from how how they organize their structure the the messages demanding a, a loyalty and honor of the leaders he acts like an apostle even though he doesn't wear the apostle hat they teach the uh, the the conquering of the seven mountains although they've changed the name to spheres it it's it's as if what brian houston really is is that he's very um he's very astute uh, about the embarrassing warts of the latter rain in the NAR, and um, and he doesn't cure them by getting rid of the warts. He's found a way to hide them um, and distract people from the warts so that people can't see them unless you really are paying attention to uh, you know to how to you know w- find where the warts are, but they're all there when you look for them. It's just right. that they do a really good job of shining it up to make it. Oh, that's not a wart. That's a that's a beauty spot. You know. <laughs> I, I think Brian has done an absolute brilliant job in making the NAR palatable too for us here in Australia. One of the things that worked ever so well was when the Vineyard were in here in Australia. Remember that whole lovey dovey. Um, it was it was it was not as militant like the guys that you've got in the states the 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 Cal Pierce Dutch Sheets Joiner Bickle they have a militant mel- mentality where they think that they can tell people what to do constantly and one of the things that you will constantly come up against with Aussies is is when you start telling them what to do um, it gets a bit heated sometimes. And Brian, what he's done, he has made this such a beautiful, sweet, non-militant NAR package that is just, it's like candy with a wrapper. Interesting. Yeah. I was going to, I wanted to ask you, Eric, from the um, standpoint of the typical Australian who's not a Christian or who maybe is a Christian but doesn't go to Hillsong, what does the man on the street think of Hillsong? (laughs) I mean, in general. (laughs) 
give you I'll give you an interesting example of it. My son in law about three weeks ago went to chapel where our daughter goes to school and they've been starting to sing Hillsong kids songs at an SDA school during chapel now. And they did the old Jesus, you're my superhero, my best friend. And um, I was talking to him later and he said to me, hey, listen, what the bloody hell has Batman got to do with Jesus? (laughs) People are starting to, the dark Christians can see it for what it's worth. Because the majority of Australians have had a little bit of biblical influence in their lives. Like we've all been to youth group or we've had an auntie that was religious per se who used to read the Bible to us and that. And it's like when they see how ridiculous the music can be, what they teach, it's like watching Tony Robbins, I've been told. That's Mm -hmm. what Brian Houston's like. There's not much difference. No. Mannerism, speech. The message is the same. You know, so most Aussies um, that aren't involved with Hillsong, I used to get phone calls from my mother and father. You're not wrapped up in that bloody Brian Houston and his Hillsong mob, are you? Taking all the money <laughs> off people all the time. They'd get this, the news on TV and ring me up just to make sure I hadn't lost it. Wow. <laughs> so the average Australian knows what they're like. Interesting. Yeah. You know, but it's the Christians. They seriously are. It's 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 like they honestly have blinkers on. You know, you look at the interviews sometimes that have been done here in Australia, especially on 60 Minutes with regards to what happens with money in Hillsong and that, and people, even though they know there's shonky stuff going on, they'll defend them to the point where it almost gets violent. You mean and Hillsong it, supporters were just... Yes. Always support them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they will. They 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 will constantly support them, and they do it blindly because honestly, you've only got to start to sit back and have a look at a few of the financial issues in itself with Hillsong and go, "There's a problem here." Yeah, you we know, haven't even it, talked about the the money that's uh, being generated by the Hillsong Corporation. It's incredible, and that that uh, kind of literally turns it into a for real Ponzi scheme. Um, with Absolutely. with the idea that you got to sow your seed, and eventually you sow enough seeds, and you'll you'll start getting you'll, the the benefits that Houston um, gets financially. But it's also too it's it's the fact that I'm getting cranky now. Hillsong Church, because of the way that they are deceitful in their practices, especially when it regards charities, have put the rest of Australian charities under scrutiny now, and the government are thinking of pulling out that little loophole that they have that they get to help people because people like this, listen, what was it, 2015, their their um, charity music industry made $55 million profit. Um, it's just ludicrous. It, 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 it has to come to a point soon where people are going to have to say, listen, these guys are either nuts or I'm going to follow them. I'm just going to follow them and not listen to logic. I'm not listening to reason, and I'm not going to listen to scripture, least of all, because these guys preach it. They preach the gospel. <laughs> you know, I, I just, I, I do, I really get infuriated with it because I'm seeing the faces of people. You know, the, the mercy ministries, I've had dealings with um, Andy Kim, Kaminsky through Living Waters Ministry when he was doing stuff in Frank Houston's church in the 90s. I've seen what these people do 
you blow the whistle on a man. I don't. Te- I can't tell you. I got dragged through to the head of Vineyard once for going off at them at Frank Houston's church when they were ripping off people with their so-called gay exodus ministries, charging them nearly a thousand dollars to be set free. Hmm. Wow. Where's that? They're thieves. You know, <laughs> Brian's a criminal for goodness' sakes, according to what our law has told us here in Australia. But they still esteem him as, as an apostle. So if we were to come up with like a, you know, a comparison to the real world, you know, to the, the pagan world, Hillsong is to Christianity the way the mob is to Vegas. Is that kind of what you're saying? They were both entertainment corporations. <laughs> <laughs> They're almost like the Hollywood of Australia. They really are. Yeah, you know, you can see that too with the names that they, they they're starting to associate themselves with. When you were out here at the PCR conference, mate, there in in Oz a few oh, months yeah. ago, they yeah. had, was it Justin and Carl were out there. And oh was, yeah, yeah. Look at us. Yeah, to, uh, Car- Carl Lentz and uh, and Bieber had. Uh, <laughs> he showed up, and uh, the entire Australian media just went, Bleh. It's, "It's Justin Bieber," and you know, of course, you know, Hillsong claims that we're, we're not we're, we're not exploiting Bieber's celebrity. It's like, no, really, you are. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they they do exploit people because you can go back to the mid nineties when one of the most prominent New South Wales jockeys become a Christian, Daryl Beedman. Within six months, Hillsong had him on the stand preaching as a new Christian because it drew a crowd. It yeah. filled their coffins. It, yeah. got, it got bumped in the seats. That's yeah. all it is. Well, Scripture actually explicitly forbids that, um, you know, lest the person become arrogant. But uh, what do I know? I, you know? I'm kind of one of these old school guys who thinks the Bible actually still has something to say to Christians and has authority to tell us what we should and shouldn't do. But that's a crazy kook. I know. What am I I thinking here? So, all right, listen, guys. He's a biblical madman, Coz. What was that? (laughs) You're a biblical madman. (laughs) Yeah, emphasis on mad probably lost his mind. All right, gentlemen, we are literally uh, running out of time here, and uh, you know, I like I said, I feel like we've barely scratched the surface. But to kind of bring things all the way around from where we began at the uh, uh, at the beginning of our conversation, and that is is that you know, I think that if you do the research, and we'll provide the links with today's episode, if you do the research, you are going to see something very important, and that is that Hillsong is actually part of the NAR, even though they do a very good job of using NAR concepts, doctrines, theologies, and emphases, uh, but rebranding them to fit within the broader structure of the whole Hillsong offering as well as Hillsong experience. And that what they are indoctrinating Christians into through their music, through their conferences, through their sermons, through their ministry, through their Hillsong channel that what people are being indoctrinated into and catechized into is not historic biblical Christianity. It is something completely foreign to historic biblical Christianity. It's a different religion altogether with a different gospel, a different emphasis, a different Holy Spirit, a different mission, um, and uh, and it, it, whose end is different than even biblical Christianity. And if you will take the time to say, I'm going to objectively search this out 
and go where the evidence leads and conclude what the evidence shows, not sit there and go, well, you, you Rosebro, you're a gunky head and you're a mean headed, you know, poopy face because you're a pirate, you know, and so I'm not going to believe you. Listen, I'm not asking anyone to believe me. What I'm asking you to do is do the research and, you know, and go where the evidence goes. When you do that, you're going to sit there and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Hillsong is something different than Christianity. Christianity is something very different than Hillsong. And what they are discipling people into is not historic, biblical, orthodox Christianity. It's a different religion altogether. And, and the scary thing is is that it morphs. It actually changes. It um, it moves. If you know uh, Brian Houston's history or you know earlier on he was more uh, more uh, akin to you know Kenneth Copeland and the word of faith heresy and a, a guy who was a prosperity preacher he's never uh, he's never repented of that but the emphasis has changed now and now he's more of a motivational speaker and if if the culture changes again he's going to stick his finger into the wind and morph with where the the culture is going clearly god's word is not in the driver's seat uh, regarding Hillsong's methods or message, and uh, what's what's in the driver's seat is whatever it will take to, uh, as uh, as Eric has pointed out, put the most number of bums in the seats. Um, <laughs> you know, and by getting bums in the seats, you're more likely to get uh, you know dollars in the plate. So that's really what they're all about. So, gentlemen, thank you for your time on this conversation. I, you know, I, I'm not sure if we've done it justice, but hopefully we've whetted people's appetites so that they're going to say, I'm going to go find out for myself what's really going on here and go to today's program link and you'll be able to, uh, you know, follow the links yourself so that you can, you know, do the research and say, you know, let's see if there's anything true to what these, uh, cranky people are saying about such a blessed organization as Hillsong. I would love it if people did that. I would love love it if people spent a long time and did the research, compared what's being taught at Hillsong to Scripture, and then uh, let us know. Let us know that uh, you're glad that we're doing this. Let us know that, you know, you've taken some steps to correct the false teaching in your own life, because that's that's why we're here. We're not doing this because we've got a personal grudge. We're doing this because... uh, we want to help people get back to the true gospel message, which is what will it, it's going to actually free you. Yeah. Hillsong is actually a trap. False doctrine is a trap. It yep. attracts you. It, it draws you in because it appeals to your your flesh. It doesn't tell you that outright, but that's what it's doing. Yep. And and it's a trap, and we want to help you get out of that trap. Yep. Now, Eric, Eric Patterson. Yeah, I was going to actually ask you if I could apologize first too, um, For? just to the listeners. Um, just getting a bit feisty. I, I get a bit hot under the collar because this is personal for me because I've wept with the people. I've looked them in the face when their lives have been destroyed, when they've been shattered by this machine. And so I tend to get a bit cranky. So I'm sorry, guys out there that are listening to this if I got a bit overboard. But when you see the the carnage that this sort of machine leaves behind, yeah, it gets personal because they're God's people Yeah, that are getting deceived. And it, it, it's it's hard. It's hard not to get very angry. Yeah. So I'm very sorry. 
Yep. Now, Eric, quick, real quick, how do we find, how do the listeners of Fighting for the Faith find your podcast, the uh, Outback Bereans? Um, it is on iTunes, the Outback Bereans, so you can just look it up. It's on Podbean, it's on all the episodes. There is a Facebook group, the Outback Bereans and Family. Um, it's different. It's a little bit raw because the group is a mixture of mostly not Christians, which I really love. Um, so it gets a bit interesting at times. Okay. <laughs> so you come in there with your adult boots on, you know what I mean? <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Not, yeah. Some, some content may, may not be safe for work. We got it. Okay. <laughs> oh, it is monitored. It is monitored. It's a mixed crowd. It's actually really good because we've got guys from the pulpit and pen in there. There's guys from the thumping wingnut group still in there. So it's, there's a good mixture of solid Christian teaching coming through and good articles. You know, it's 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 we're doing the little we we can with what we got, mate, down here under at the moment. <laughs> got it. Got it. Awesome. All right. And, of course, uh, Stephen Kozar's works can be found at piratechristian.com. He is the author of the Messed Up Church blog. And uh, in, when he, he'll be curating the links that go up with today's episode. Thank you guys for your time. And uh, we will pray that, uh, that our, our words do not fall on closed ears, that they will open their ears you know, enough to say, I'm going to go see if what these guys are saying is right and start doing the research so that they can realize, uh-oh, there's, a, there's problems here. And it's not that these guys are just cranky or jealous because we're not any of, any of that. It's We're actually concerned for people's souls because Amen. it is Satan who is the father of lies, not God. And it is Satan who brings in destructive false teachings, false doctrines, and heresies that uh, lead people astray from Christ and get them chasing after and very busy doing all kinds of religious activities that have nothing to do with belief in Christ or the good works that Christ has called us to as Christians. So, again, gentlemen, thank you for your time. Uh, Looking forward to our next conversation. Thanks, Chris. Cheers, Chris. So what would you think? Controversial topic. Go to the website. Follow the links. Do the research yourself. Tell me what you think the research and the evidence shows. Would love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.